and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim, and now, here he is, the brand new Speaker of the House, Teal. How's it going, buddy? It was tough, but uh, after 37 rounds of voting, I finally got enough votes, so... Here I am. Yeah, they finally was like they were like finally enough of these shenanigans. Let's just go with the person who we know can make it all happen. Teal. Yeah, so it's great to be uh, third in line for the presidency now. <laughs> yeah, now right, and that so that is when you're thinking about casting your vote for Jim Jordan. That's the number one thing you should be thinking about in your mind. Third in line for the presidency. Yes. You do not want that guy. I mean, this is a guy. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you know what? no. This is wait, this guy. This guy reminds me of that when he's on his off time, he's rounding up stray cats, putting them in a sack, and then trying to drown them in the river. That's the vibe. That's that what guy he does gives for fun. Me. Yeah. That's what his idea of a good time is. Well, the good thing about Jim Jordan is... uh, You have, there's a good thing? No, I can't even make the joke. Never mind. Okay. You know, um, know. (laughs) there's so much. uh, Right now, I think they're voting. So by the time this podcast comes out, who knows? Maybe they'll be on their 10th round or, I mean, I'm just hoping. I mean, it's pretty bad when when the alternative Scalise is the guy you want over Jim Jordan. Let's see. Who do we have? The guy who covers up sexual assault of children or the neo-Nazi? It's a tough call. (laughs) Yeah, that's so well. Or within Jim Jordan, you kind of get both. Um, But it's well, yeah. But he's not quite as outspoken a white supremacist as Scully's is. <sighs> he's just a good old guy from Louisiana. <laughs> guy. I don't think he even knows he's a neo-Nazi. That's not how they do it down there. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's talk about some movies. Okay. All right. Well, first of all, the, the first thing I just want to mention, and it's going to be a brief mention. This is not what the show is going to be on, is that uh, – I, maybe out of curiosity, uh, another thing my wife really wanted to go, and and our youngest, I went and saw that Taylor Swift Eras Tour movie. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I am not the demographic for this. Uh, I mean, I know, I know some of You're the not songs a and stuff. I am not, I don't, I'm not against her. I just am not a Swifty. Okay. Okay. I, I know that my wife had tried, not, not, not terribly hard, but she was in line for that whole ticket fiasco thing online and right. whatever. And you know, she didn't get uh, tickets, uh, but she was willing to go. And this is a weird duck of a thing. I, I, it really, it feels like a fathom event. If you know what those are. I don't. Uh, it, you know, you've heard of Fathom events, right? They're like that company that like puts on special movies or like. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, like it just feels like a special thing for theaters that really isn't about a movie. It's more like you know, hey, there are millions of people that didn't get to can't go to the Taylor Swift concert, and she recognized that, and they filmed the last concert on the tour, which was in uh, Los Angeles, SoFi Stadium. Which yeah. seats 70,000 people, by the wow. way. I mean, imagine that you can pack a house of 70,000 to hear a concert. That's crazy. So they filmed the whole thing. And maybe they were going to put it on as like a, an, you know, a HBO Max special or something. Right. But then they got the idea, let's put this in theaters. Um, so it's really hard to review it as a movie. because I, I, I don't even see it as a movie. It's just a concert fi- video. 
And that's really what it is. It didn't feel, it didn't have any film like, they didn't really give any thought to is what would it be like if we were putting this in theaters? No, no, no. They, they directed it as though it's a sporting event. It, it really was. It did feel like an extended, uh, almost three-hour halftime show at the Super Bowl. That's what that's what I would expect from it. Yeah. I, first of all, I thought I heard it was two two and a half hours. I didn't know it was two hours and fifty minutes. And then you add ten minutes to trailers, and you got a three-hour film. Yep. And my littlest certainly didn't, and he was getting bored pretty quick, and I was getting antsy. But I could see he was super antsy, and he was yeah. like taking trips to the hallway, and uh, I I was taking some trips to stretch out because it's just. You know, concert movies are kind of tough anyway, unless you're mm-hmm. so into the artist. But this was, it turned out to be 40, 40 songs. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. And yep. so I will be honest, my son and I, we made it for 32 songs. And then we told my wow. wife, we're going to go out into the car. You can sit for the next half hour. I just, we can't, <laughs> we can't watch it anymore. It's not that it's bad. It's just, it was just torture. He was not happy. Yeah. And I just, I wanted to get out and it was a packed audience, but yeah, I live in Vermont and nobody gets very excited in Vermont. And I think I was right. going like, there's been complaints. Some people are like, oh, people are standing up in the aisles and dancing and all that stuff. And I kind of thought that was the purpose of this. And so I, I wanted- I thought that was the whole point, right? Yeah. I know. I wanted to see the obnoxious moms and their kids and all that stuff. And I didn't really get that at this screening. There were all the kids and they were all dressed in sparkly outfits and, you know, all the friendship bracelets and all that stuff. Yeah. But it, it just, there was not a lot of energy in my screening. It, I, I heard other screenings were much different, but not, not a lot there of energy. There was this- theater i used to go to in new hampshire called the colonial okay and uh it had space uh between the front seats and the screen like quite a lot of space because they also used as a stage for performances oh yeah so there was this big open area between the seats and the screen and i remember seeing stop making sense there oh and i really like to see that reissue but it's not playing near me um, but everyone in the theater was in that space uh, between the seats, like right in front of the screen, just dancing along for the whole movie. Oh, that sounds fun. It was like being at a concert. It was a fantastic experience. And that's kind of what I would want from the Taylor Swift movie, actually. You know, I, I would want everyone dancing in their seats and singing along. That, to me, is the point of it. It's like going to a concert, right? I don't want to just sit there and patiently watch 40 songs. But, you know, what's weird is that a couple days earlier, I actually went to a concert. I went, uh, traveled to Boston with my friend, and we saw um, The Violent Femmes. And it it was a great show. But it reminded me, just being, like, right off the heels of that, what the difference is seeing a concert live versus watching something on uh on film or video whatever that but even on a big screen and they capture everything it just there was a level that i just couldn't get engaged with it i i understand that it just feels like it's something going on on a screen that you're not caught up in yeah and that, that was my biggest problem is that i just i don't know and i don't know if that would be different for hardcore swifties right if if they might have a different experience but i I actually because i haven't heard from anyone who's seen the movie except for you i haven't read any reviews or anything i don't uh i'm i'm really i don't have a lot my my daughter was gonna go and then had to cancel her plans she's gonna try to go again but uh for me this is the kind of thing where if my kids wanted to watch it at home i would sit in the room and look at my phone 
maybe you look up a couple times when she sang a song that you knew. And I mean, the thing is, I know the music quite well because it's played around my house frequently, and so I'm I'm I, I know the songs. Yeah, I mean, it's not really rock and roll, so I I just it wasn't you know those are always like the what they used to always put concert movies for, and uh, I just like I said I, I wasn't too engaged, but uh, so uh, then on the heels of that, I just want a quick shout out. There's a horror movie sort of a horror comedy that uh, premiered on Amazon Prime. Didn't make it to theaters. Um, but it's funny is I think this was a better horror comedy thing that could have been in theaters than like say The Exorcist, which bombed um, recently. And that's this film called Totally Killer. Okay, don't tell me. Uh, uh, I'm not going to, I mean, I just, it's a quick shout out. <laughs> I, uh, I'm just, I, I'm excited about watching this movie. So I don't want to. Uh... Yeah, I, I mean, basically it is you know it's kind of like it, it meshes together a bunch of films like you kind of like take scream but then mix it with back to the future right <laughs> so right you know like but if you like the happy death day movies which i do that's that's what i was thinking it was in the same genre as happy death day it totally is i mean it's fun and this actor kiernan shipka she was the daughter in mad men and uh, she was uh, sabrina the teenage witch in the new series that was on like netflix for a couple oh, yeah. years she's in it she's delightful uh she's hilarious and again it's not really giving anything away but you know because she has to go back in time into yeah. the 80s and the funny the, the stuff that's so funny is that she's so horrified by how the way people act in the 80s and it's just so inappropriate and uh and it's just hilarious her reactions to that and uh it makes for some really fun comedy and uh it's a good little slasher movie to boot uh we enjoyed it thoroughly like we still been talking about it days later about how much we liked that and we wish there was a few more movies like that available to watch well and that happens every time I see a good movie. I think, oh, I wish there were a few more like that. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it, ultimately, it's not trying to do anything more than be a part of the slasher genre, but it's funny. Right, but it's been such a disappointing year for horror that if there's something even entertaining, that I consider that a win. Yeah, you got to let your kid, I mean, at least your oldest, watch it. Oh, that's why I haven't seen it yet. I'm waiting. She wants to watch it with me. Yeah, so we'll, it, it, I think she'll like it. Yeah. Well, especially because she probably had the same attitude as Karen and Shipka does exactly. in the movie. <laughs> yes, and it, it, that's what I think will be funny. And also, it's the ultimate um, Gen X parent movie, right? Exactly. Because the main character is our age, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or the mom is our age. Yeah, yeah, because basically, go back to 1987. So, right. yeah, I mean, around our age. So, so right around our age, yeah. And, and and the teenagers are the age of our kids. So, uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it's a perfect Gen X parent movie. Yeah, because she's 16. Yeah. She goes back to when her mom was 16, and there's the sweet 16 killer on the loose. You of see? course. Awesome. Yeah. So you gotta, and I just love the idea that the, the title is totally killer, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there's my recommendation uh, for home viewing. Um, and now... <laughs> the main oh. event we've been, this has been a long time coming you know we were both we've talked about it before we couldn't wait for it to be streaming so or you know that we could rent and and watch because we weren't going to go see it in the theater um but the big surprise sleeper hit of the summer it wasn't uh mission impossible twenty thousand. uh nope. it wasn't indiana jones 
It, it wasn't even Barbie. Yeah, Barbie with its own <laughs> phenomenon. No, the big story of the summer was a little film that could called Sound of Freedom uh, from this director, Alejandro Monteverde. That had been sitting on the shelf for four years. It has been sitting on the shelf for five years, from two thousand years. Okay, yes. wow, I, right. I, but but there's a, but the reason was that it was um, financed by like twentieth century Fox had picked it up. Okay, this independent film was made for fourteen and a half million dollars, and Century Fox had it. And then, of course, when Disney purchased Fox. Oh, it got with orphaned. that whole shuffle. It got it got uh, shelved, and that kind of thing. I mean, studios weren't buying studios like crazy back in the day. But right, what would happen a lot of times is there would be films that had been gr- greenlit by a studio. A studio head would right. get fired. A new person would come in, and they would cancel all sorts of movies that were going to be going into production in production. Yes. And sometimes they would just shelve things because they didn't want their name on things that weren't part of them because they'd be happy to take the success but if it was a failure it would fall on their shoulders and they didn't want that exactly yeah so disney's purchasing of fox it was a property that probably does not align with disney at all i mean it's much more of a family friendly film than i was expecting it to be <laughs> yeah and it is about kids uh in a way and it is about Disney's it's a about good kids, kids movie yeah, <laughs> um, so the filmmakers like they bought back the rights and disney probably was like yeah sure you can have it because this is like a total straight right. to streaming type movie anyway and they fought really hard to get distributors um interested in it and i think that the ones that were were like netflix throwing it in like oh we'll put it into like you know kind of our streaming action thing and uh the filmmaker like he was one of these you know it's a passion project for this guy that it's an important subject and people want to see it in the theaters and uh they hooked up with one of these uh you know conservative religious film companies called angel productions or something right which often just distribute things in really specific markets like not nationwide but they'll target certain states and areas where there's a larger christian audience i guess and they also have this backing of like their angel investors or whatever and they uh voted on it and were like yes and so through very unique marketing channels, much different than most films get, this film kind of got ushered in into some theaters for July 4th. And, you know, look, I think if your film, you look, the ultimate goal is if you get your film, you want it to be seen. Yeah. So they had to like, you know, how do you market something like this? And they were smart. Uh, they knew that there is a large group in the country <laughs> mm-hmm. on the right and some people have some fringe beliefs but it fits in the subject matter which is uh you know human trafficking and actually child trafficking in child this case trafficking, yeah it fits in with some conspiracy theories the movie itself is not about conspiracy theories and stuff it just so happens that that particular conspiracy theory is very popular right now yeah. And so it fits in. <laughs> and one thing the film does is it, it not in a conspiracy. It, it's it, you're right. It doesn't engage in the conspiracy theories. But one thing it does do is it brings a religious aspect to this. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're looking for it, I didn't see it as much as you did. But I mean, OK, so here's how I <laughs> I mean, I was sort of aware of the movie, sort of. But we have this crazy lady who shows up at the library board meetings. Okay. Where you live. Where I live. Yes. And uh, she calls herself Mama Bear. 
That's always concerning. It's always concerning. And she shows up and gives these speeches about indoctrinating children with sexuality by having comic books, right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> oh, my God. And so this is what leads to the trafficking, in her opinion? In her, well, so, yes, exactly. That that all of this stuff, like these these books that she wants banned, are leading to grooming, which leads to trafficking. Right. So she gives this big speech at the library meeting. And at the end of it, she says, go see Sound of Freedom. God's children are not for sale. <laughs> and this was the first time I'd heard the God's children are not for sale thing. And it's a big part of the character's motive in the movie is this sort of, uh, I think, it, it, you know, when he's asked why he does it, he says, because God's children are not for sale. Not like, well, I had guilt that I wasn't doing enough about it. He, you know, he comes out with this God thing. And so I think it it gives the film a, a point of contact for Christian audiences. I do have a question, though. That does bring up my, my question to you is, does that mean that during the prior uh, presidential administration, when they separated immigrants from south of the border uh, from their children, and then they mm. sent the parents back, and then uh, some of those kids were adopted by other families. Does that mean that those God's children were for sale? Well, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I, I mean, if if, if you Thanks want me to question. go down this road, I can. But there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of racial uh, coded stuff involved in this too. Yeah, well, well, first of all, okay, so, I mean, we haven't even talked about this movie, what it is. Um, it, it, it's, ba I think, loosely based on the experiences of a guy who works for some kind of volunteer organization, this guy, Tim Ballard, who once worked for um, Homeland Security. Homeland Security, yeah. And Tim Ballard, which they downplay this part in the movie, but he was a Mormon, had a, has a large family. Yeah. And, you know, he undertakes these missions uh the movie itself it does it does have some hollywood liberties because uh while one sort of sting operation that you see in the movie is based on something from this guy's experiences then of course there has to be a further part of the movie um, to try to rescue this one child and that's right. complete hollywood fiction that didn't happen but you know i think i well that's the problem is Anytime you think that something's based on true events, you tend to take the whole movie as gospel, and yeah. it's not true. But the the catch here is, is it kind of makes a point, and it throws a lot of facts, especially at the end, there's like a, a text, and there, there's some sort of murky waters as to how much uh, authenticity the, the numbers that are thrown out in this movie really exist. But yeah. they try to make a point that while this human trafficking, uh, the child trafficking is happening in other countries, that the the biggest export of it, the people that are, you know, the the, the I guess the uh, the appetite for this is um, Americans. Okay, so that's really important. I think um, it. Yeah, the title card comes up at the end that basically America is the biggest consumer of of child sex trafficking. Yeah, it doesn't validate that with any evidence or like how that is. Uh, no, no, no. But but let's just let's just give them that, right? Okay. So here's a guy. We have this character who works for Homeland Security, finding uh, people purveyors of child pornography, right? And so he has to watch a lot of child pornography and then go and arrest people. Which is a weird thing that happens in this movie, the idea that the people that are trying to stop the child pornography, they're actually ones that have to watch a lot of this. And yes, that becomes a very weird, it's, it's a little bit weird, right? They don't show anything, by the way, in this movie, but it's weird that this guy who's supposed to be our hero watches a lot of child porn. 
Right. But then it's too much for him and he realizes, wait, this isn't tackling the real problem, which is not that pornography is being made. Well, that is a real problem. But he's like, let's go to the root of the problem, which is the kidnappings and the selling of children. And he seems to think that the U.S. government doesn't do anything about that. And the film kind of is like, yep, nobody in the government cares about child trafficking except this one guy who is willing to quit his job watching child porn so he can uh, go south of the border and rescue children. And it's like, we, you know, we have task force that do that. We have government agencies that are involved in this. But the movie has this idea that, no, somehow the U.S. is doing nothing about it. It's only this one vigilante man of God who can solve this problem. Uh, And it's just nonsense because why not make a movie going after the – if this is true, this title card at the end, why not make a movie going after those people? Also, I mean, here's what's amazing to me, and this is one of the reasons why I want to watch the movie – is that way well, it's like I, it kind of falls in the genre of dad film right these kind of like actiony films and tough guys and stuff and i you know i feel like that type of thing is very politically agnostic because i may it be is. on the left yeah. but i love those kind of, <laughs> i love those kind of movies and part of it is i mean like the setup of protecting an innocent child right that you can justify a lot of moral uh questions <laughs> and violence and and whatnot you you can you you can go into a gray area yourself because it's so black and white that what's happening is wrong so he can go into sort of vigilante mode to address that but here's what's amazing is this movie right which which to its like supporters who love this movie acting like this is like some you know earth shattering you know new take uh this right. movie made more money at the box office than like mission impossible five yeah. or six whatever it was um and that that's amazing that movie is filled with like tons of action and all that stuff and it was supposed to be a guaranteed hit and this movie did better however there is a one little weird caveat because of the marketing of this film which allowed backers and stuff <laughs> yeah. to um buy tickets for the theaters and then give them away for free, which I don't know, like if anybody like actually showed up to take advantage of these free tickets and how that worked. I don't know if it was like a sort of like a, a crowdfunding ploy, but that definitely helped increase yeah. its, its box office. But then there was curiosity of the film and it kept on doing well. And, and uh, it made itself, I guess like worldwide now it's made $238 million off its 14.5 million budget, which is monstrous. It did have the free marketing that comes with mama bears screaming about it at library meetings. Right. I mean, I'm not saying that these people are like hand spooned, like this is an important topic that you must share, but those people love to take those important topics and share them. Yes. And share them. And so I do think the religious angle counts for some of this box office, though, because there are very few Christian films. There's even fewer Christian action films. So this actually taps into a market. I think this is this accounts for the box office is that it's essentially a Christian vigilante action film. And there is an audience for that. And again, maybe these people don't go out and see a lot of films, and I do. Um, but yeah. like, there are plot things that seem like, you know, eye-opening. And, and I guess that's the idea that, that um, the person who kind of helps uh, facilitate sort of luring these kids in is like, yeah. in, in this case, it's like a woman. Yes. And so people might be like, 
I can't believe that's happening. Well, I'm like, well, you never saw the uh, Oscar winning <laughs> film Slumdog Millionaire, right? Because there's a whole plot yeah. line that's pretty much that where they take these kids off the street, lure them in for one thing and then uh, do all sorts of things to them. Not to mention uh, what's her name worked for Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, right, 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 right. That whole thing. Yeah, yes. But right. Um, yeah, and that see, whole thing. I think that the one difference maker, other than Slumdog Millionaire, which covers a lot of this, most of the time, the trafficking are older women, like girls who are like yes. 18 and up, yes. right? So we yeah. have a whole bunch of those from like the uh, movie Taken. Mm-hmm. There's a film that people have maybe not seen with uh, Val Kilmer, Spartan. Uh, yep. you, you were never really here. Uh, with Joaquin Phoenix. Um, mm-hmm. Then, you know, all these people that are like, you know, it's funny with the religious angle. Well, t- there's a whole movie that won Best Picture that 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 highlights uh, the abuse <laughs> of the Catholic Church. It's called Spotlight, but I didn't see a lot, I didn't see that movie making 158 million. But, uh, you know, maybe it's, it's where your enemies are. And that's where I think the racism part that you were mentioning comes into play because that targets white yes. men with white children. Um, versus, you know, people that was what Honduras and Colombia. Yeah, no, this is a this is about a good Christian white man who brings his vengeful justice to uh, south of the border, where everyone is incompetent and at enforcing the law, and no one has morals, and he can go down there and set things straight, and even going so far as to go deep into the heart of the jungle where the real criminals are, the the warlords. And it, he is sort of the Christ of revelations who's vengeful on a, on a horse with a sword um, and coming in and kicking ass and taking names. And it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the commie hippie Jesus. It's the revelations Jesus. Well, you know what though? There's even in that there's some there's a problematic aspect, and his <laughs> contact down there for these missions, right? He hooks up with this guy, this actor Bill Camp, who's <laughs> right? great, big big character actor, and of course, right? So he's down South America, but is he a South American guy? No, he's a white guy who's yes. you know been down there. But here's the problematic part: he's a guy who's had his own revelation, uh, right? He he does his part down there to try to rescue kids. And the, his rationale... He buys them and sets them free. Right. He buys them and he sets them free. And, the, <laughs> you know, so uh, so he... His whole thing was that he was, you know, a drunk and down there for maybe the wrong reasons. And then he, you know, bought himself an evening with a, a woman. But then after having his relations that night he realized that girl seemed very young and before he knew it he came to the realization that this girl was only 14 years old and so now he's on a quest but 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 they kind of gloss over the aspect of your saying that this guy had sex with a 14 year old girl but here's the thing he because of his guilt over this he decides to kill himself but then god calls him and so he doesn't see. So he has this moment where it becomes all about God, and he's on a mission from God, and that will redeem him. Yeah, that that was very problematic, and it kind of sat with me throughout the rest of that movie. Where uh, it's just this movie is just kind of a mixed bag. But here's my biggest problem with the film. Okay. And it's because of its devotion to a real character, Tim Ballard, and actually calling him. The, he's Tim Ballard in the movie, right? 
Yeah. Oh, you know, it, it's actually him. It's actually the guy who got fired from his nonprofit. So my biggest problem with the entire film, which I didn't hate, I mean, it, it was it was watchable for sure. I mean, it was it definitely felt to me like the kind of thing that would just show up streaming normally, and it's shocking. Sure, but that it, it was but it was theater. actually better than I expected. It was about what I expected. But here's the problem: you had talked about him being this avenging angel and all this stuff, yeah. right? The problem was that it it stuck to this, you know, like the true story of Tim Ballard kind of thing, right. where instead it should have just been. It, uh, he should have been a different per- name, all this stuff, and it should have just been inspired by real events because right. then you could have this character do what the audience really craves, which I craved is you want this guy <laughs> to go in and start kicking ass, taking names and blowing everybody away like it's some 80s action movie like Commando or something. I was just going to say Commando. That sounds exactly like Commando. and But because he's a real guy and they have to like be careful that some government's not like, did this guy go down and start blowing everybody away? He doesn't do, he doesn't kill anybody in the movie. Like the movie actually is not an action movie with no action in it. So have you followed up on what's been going on with Tim Bauer the last few months? Uh, you know, this guy's not my uh, super cup of tea. And I'm, I mean, I'm just, I watched the movie, right? And of course, if I'm critiquing the movie, I got a great counterpoint to my argument that we're going to talk about in a second. But no, I haven't been, I mean, I knew that there's some sexual harassment charges against this guy. So he started the nonprofit, right? Okay. Yeah. That does, that sends him on missions to save kids. And he was fired from the nonprofit a few months ago because he sexually harassed so many women who were going on these missions with him, who he would, he would say, look, we're undercover as husband and wife. How far are you willing to go to save the children? We need to, you know, be sexually involved so that we can uh, pass as husband and yes. And and his and his pickup line was, "How far are you willing to go to save the children?" No, that's not correct. To save God's children. To save God's children. Sorry. <laughs> Come on, yes. Teal. Oh. I get it right. Yeah. So I mean, I'm not so, going to make a <laughs> fun of this guy, but so uh, yeah, I'm just saying this guy. You know, if you're going to do based on a true story, it's there. It's more complicated than this guy being a, a a good guy, which at least with the Bill Camp character, like. There's some complexity. You're saying that the child mama or whatever is going to come into the library and say, forget what I said. Don't go see Sound <laughs> yeah. of Freedom. I was wrong. She's not going to do a, wrong. A, a, re, a retraction. It's that thing you were just talking about where like, it's fine when Jim Jordan does it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to you know educate people on Jim Jordan, but like, think about your potential next Speaker of the House. Do a little research <laughs> on him and, uh, and you might be a little concerned. Uh, but so when I think about where this movie fails, where another yeah. movie that like it's 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 kind of fascist in a way, and it's a really like aggressive take on uh, you know revenge and, and rescuing a, a, a child is yeah. uh, Tony Scott. Good old uh, let's never oh, forget yeah. Tony Scott's 2004 Man on Fire with Denzel and Dakota Fanning. Denzel Washington as John Creasy and Dakota Fanning as Lupita Ramos. Don't ask, she's half half Mexican though you would never know it. <laughs> I guess she got all the genes from her her Australian playing some kind of southern belle, Rada Mitchell, um, with a really weird accent that occasionally goes into some some weird places. But uh, this movie, I got to tell you, is a freaking masterpiece. It is so great. Um, <laughs> I don't know if it's Tony Scott's best film, but it's up there. You know, it's it's based on a book by this guy, A.J. Quinnell, 
and it was made. This is what I didn't even know about this till after I rewatched the movie. It, it, it's a, an adaptation of a 1987 film that was first done on the book called Man on Fire with the same title, and it was like this Italian uh, production and. It got like American actors to be in the movie, and it's kind of like what Italy thought an '80s action movie was supposed to be. That's hilarious, and it's so bad. I watched it. I I had to find this thing and watch it after finding out that it existed. And the reason why the screenwriter for the 2004 version, Brian Helgeland, got involved is when he was sort of starting out, and he was out in L.A. He would go to the video store that Quentin Tarantino worked at. Okay, and he said, what do you got for me? You got anything new? And he's like, yeah, man, check out this film, Man on Fire, okay? <laughs> That's kind of kind of got some stuff. And so he watched this and he was fascinated by the movie because the movie is a total failure. Scott right. Glenn plays Christian Creasy, um, an ex-CIA guy, and Joe Pesci is sort of his buddy, uh, David. Okay. And then pretty much the beats of the film are the same although it's different and a much shorter version, but he has to kind of be the bodyguard for this girl, important family, and he wants to just do his job and not befriend the girl, but then the girl kind of wins him over, and then he kind of helps her with a sporting event, all this stuff. And then, of course, naturally, she's uh, kidnapped, and then the the ransom goes awry, she's presumed dead, and then he's shot in the process, and then, of course, he's going to get his revenge on every single person involved with the kidnapping. And he doesn't know she's still alive. He assumes she's dead when, when he goes yes. on this revenge trip, but he's trying to find, like, he's working his way up, right? <laughs> he's starting with, like, the kidnapping. He wants to know who's running the show here. And in this movie, it's like the... Ma like. There was a time where Denzel Washington played certain kind of roles. This was, I think, a transformation into the yeah. second half, the last 20 years of his career, yeah. playing some of these damaged guys who then use their skills in kind of cool ways. And I got to tell you, man, Denzel Washington is so fucking great in this movie. He is so, I just, I love the way Denzel kicks ass because he's, so calm about it. Now, did you see, did you rewatch the movie? Yes. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure. I mean, I, I remember seeing this thing in the theater and all I remembered was like, I remember feeling like I shouldn't like this movie as much <laughs> as I do because there's something wrong about it, but I loved it. And I hadn't seen it in 19 years since it came yeah. out in the theater. And I'm watching again. I'm like, this fucking Denzel Washington, man, when he goes on his revenge thing, it is the greatest. It is the greatest. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, and he just he he's like a force of nature but he plays it so you know it's so calm cool and collected while he's chopping people's fingers off or sticking explosives up their ass right like he, or which you're not kidding by the way that he yes this, he don't, they don't show it but it's there yes oh yeah it's there it's that's <laughs> actually that is an actual scene He's like, he's like, he's like, he's like, you don't have any more time. I do. I do. I have time. You don't have time. <laughs> and then, of course, also, also so great in this version is his buddy from like the days of doing God knows what, you know, like going on missions, uh, Christopher Walken. Yes. Walken uses all his Walken mannerisms yep. and, 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 and patois, and he's just so great in this movie. <laughs> he's fantastic. Uh, Dakota Fanning is fantastic. I got to say, like having a kid who can actually act in this role is really important because the audience, 
the audience starts to buy into her friendship with Creasy. And it really helps that we can empathize with the kid. And then she's not there for half the movie, but we've gotten to like her. That's, by the way, why I had to see the uh, the original. The girl in the original, she only made, she like basically, it was like one and done because she was one of the worst actresses I've ever seen. Oh, Sure, okay. her line readings were so bad. I don't know whether she was somebody's kid or somebody and she got into the movie. She is so bad that you realize how great Dakota Fanning is in the, yeah. the 2004 version because you're like, wow, that's a really good actor. <laughs> that Yeah, she's really good. And it really uh, makes the film in a way. I mean, Denzel is, of course, amazing. But without her character being somebody the audience can connect with, the we would not feel as justified <laughs> in cheering on all the uh, violence that comes after it. Yeah, I mean, and of course, you know, look, it's a little problematic again, right? I guess, and this time it's not a white man savior. It's a black man savior still going down to Mexico. Mexico, though, and yes. uh, kicking ass all over the place to get and rescue the girl. Um, though he's already, I mean, it takes place in Mexico City. So the whole thing is in Mexico City. And yeah, but there's just something about that you want retribution as an audience. Yes. And you want this guy, if he's going to be, you know, breaking all the laws and everything and being the superhero. You want him to really kick ass. And that's the thing that's missing to me in Sound of Freedom is that the guy doesn't do anything except for maybe slap that guy in the end. He kind of knocks him out. No, no, no. They have a little fist fight. There's there's a <laughs> moment there where where he beats the guy up and then runs away. And runs away, yes. <laughs> he does. It. And, you know, Denzel is not running away. Um, a- after watching Man on Fire, I needed a little bit more Denzel uh, kicking ass. So I decided to take a look at Equalizer 3, which strangely also has Dakota Fanning in it. The little reunion 19 years later. A little reunion. And uh, she doesn't need to be in the movie. Her character is completely pointless. Uh, The script is a mess. uh, But there's probably about 15 minutes of the movie in which Denzel is equalizing people. (laughs) (laughs) with a knife or a gun or his finger or whatever uh, and and watching that 15 minutes of the movie spread out through the two hours is just fantastic because there's denzel kicking ass is so satisfying well that's the thing denzel washington even in the worst of movies he's good um yes there was this roman j israel esquire movie and he actually got nominated for an Oscar in it. It's okay. kind of controversial. They think that he took the slot that was supposed to go to James Franco um, oh. for doing that movie with uh, about the uh, the guy who did you know, the disaster artist. Oh yeah, yeah. And James Franco was amazing, but then of course it got discovered that he was running an acting school so he could score right <laughs> with women. He was pulling himself in a way a Tim Ballard. Yes, <laughs> he was getting he's like you really want to be an actor. Well, then you got to learn how, how far to, are you willing to go to become an actor? <laughs> right to be w- with one of God's children, me Jane Franco. Um, <laughs> so, so I saw this movie because I'm like, oh, the movie is absolutely terrible. This Roman J Esquire thing is the worst movie. However. You can't fault Denzel Washington. He's great in it. And he's great in everything. This guy is so good. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever seen a bad Denzel performance. 
No. I mean, you want to spend your money right, you get Denzel Washington in your movie. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. This guy is like always, every, the first time I remember seeing him, I mean, I remember he was on um, St. Elsewhere as a kid. Yeah, I didn't see that. Glory was the first time I saw him. So the first time I saw him, no, see, you're just forgetting. He's amazing, amazing. In the first movie that I ever remember seeing him in, uh, Soldier Story. I didn't see that until years later. Oh, okay. Yeah, he's great. I remember seeing that film. I'm such a geek, right? I'm only like 14 years old, and I went and saw that theater by myself because I, I wanted to see it. And I remember going, this actor, I don't know who he is, but I like this guy, and I want to see him in yeah. some other stuff. And then he played, um, was it Cry Freedom or something? He played Stephen Biko. Yes. Yes. And he got his first Oscar nomination for that. So that used to play at the theater. And I remember always like, you know, you have to go through as an usher and check and make sure that, I don't know, nobody's doing anything. And I remember seeing him on the screen and uh, like, ah, oh, this guy again, he's awesome. And just turned in, you know, Malcolm X was not long after that. That's a, just an astounding performance in my mind. And he's also great in Hurricane. Yes, uh, you know, so again, he's, I mean, this guy's racked up like six or seven Oscar nominations and they're, yeah, they're yeah. All, all worth it. And he's even good in that movie. Was it called Flight or whatever, where he's the yes, al yes. alcoholic drug addict uh, airplane pilot? That movie's just so-so, but he's good in it. He's great in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is, that's that Robert Zemeckis movie, right? Yeah. 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 He's great. He's great in everything. And especially when he's uh, punching people or yeah. stabbing them or shooting them. Well, well, what I'm saying now to you, the audience member, because we may, maybe because we're, we're, we're talking about Man on Fire, maybe we'll get some uh, listeners in here that, that, that came on just for this. And what I'm saying is, is that not that like I'm bashing that your love of, uh, I mean, uh, Sound of Freedom, but I'm just saying that I had a lot of problems with it. Now go see Man on Fire if you really want to see some, <laughs> you want to see what Saving a Kid's about. <laughs> that movie, you know, <laughs> that's what I want. <laughs> I want. I want Denzel Washington saving me. So again, I think that Sound of Freedom is a is a family film, and that's why it doesn't have all that violence. <laughs> Maybe I, I bet you, I bet you there were a lot of church groups that went out to see Sound of Freedom. That is my point. I'm I, I, I'm I'm not totally joking. I mean, you have to understand who the audience for these films is, and some of these movies I have not seen them, but make eighty ninety million dollars at the box office and only play in the South. I do also say that, you know, look, kids, if someone knocks on your door and says that, uh, you know, they're going to take your kids in for a special modeling thing, be, be concerned. I don't know how people fall for that, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I, I, I There were a lot of things in this movie that I was skeptical about, and uh, that, w that was one of many uh, th that just didn't ring true to me. Uh, the whole end sequence, of course. It's just nonsense. But that's the thing is because it was just nonsense. That's where I want all the action. They're already making <laughs> yeah. this whole part up. Give me, I, and I know they're like, well, but we just based on, that's what I'm saying. Couldn't this, this Alejandro Monteverde <laughs> thought about this film for a second and said, you know what? I can tell this story. People think it's important, but man, give it some action. And, uh, well, you know, and they could have saved it for that last bit too. He could have killed all the guys in that camp. Yeah, you want you want him to go house, and then you know maybe even Bill Camp gets it, but Bill Camp gets shot at the something because that's his rejection because the guy had sex that's with a fourteen year old. So Bill he needs Camp to die. would have to he has to die. You're right. Yeah, I know how to make. I could have rewritten this whole movie, and I guarantee you. And, and I'm not saying anything like Jim Caviezel. Yeah, he's got some wacky politics and stuff like that. But the guy used to be a good actor. I mean, the Thin Red Line. He's still a good actor. Yeah, but I just don't think he like. 
this movie, there's that scene, right? And I'm, I'm sure the, the proponents of this movie love that scene where he's staring at the the computer screen. We know that he's seeing some yes. bad images. And then it's a close-up on his eye. And the tears will drip down the side. It's such a weird performance because he's on the verge of tears about this, about his mission in almost every scene. It looks like he could start breaking down crying because of the kids. And... <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the, 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 look, the situation is real. It, yes. Throughout the, throughout the world, there are kids, mostly like poor, destitute children of him that are, that are taken, and these terrible things happen to them, and then creeps like Jared from Subway go <laughs> and have their way with them. So I guess that's the Americans they're talking about. Yeah, and yes, I don't mean to be making light of what is a serious subject, but the movie is a little weird. I mean, there's scenes of Caviezel where it's uh, Caviezel where it's just uh, he's like looking out at the ocean or something, and the sound—it's like this choral music, the sound of angels kind of descending from the heavens. Yeah, the musical. This movie is anything but subtle, right? Yes. Yes, it is not subtle. Yeah, so I mean, we're just offering from from people who understand movies, the the, the teal and Jim way. We we we, we just <laughs> we're bringing it down to reality. We 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 judge the movie for what it is, and we say that look, you know, it's a dad movie, and we you know, it wasn't like oh, this is the worst film of all time. Believe me, I've seen some of the really bad movies of all time. And this is not it. Yeah, no, it it, it it's uh, I, I like I said, it's better than I expected. I I thought it was going to be much more. I, I I actually thought it was going to have worse production values. Yeah, and uh, me, I felt like I didn't like the cinematography. I felt like you know I could just see the almost the the it, it, the way it was framed. I could almost see that the 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 out part of the sets peeking out almost <laughs> like you could just feel like oh this is a set and you know it, it, it's just it, it there's just something there. You know what I would have liked to have had this movie directed and with a rewrite. By the dragged across concrete guy, Craig Ziegler, <laughs> Craig Zoller. Oh, oh, that's who should have made this movie. That oh, you're absolutely right. Like oh. that's what I want. I want that little extra attitude. As in my Craig Zoller doing a child trafficking movie, I don't know if I could watch that. Oh, just the thought of that. No, amazing. With like, imagine an insane Mel Gibson. Which I don't know. Maybe he's having. Uh, that would be too close to things that might have happened on that. Uh, <laughs> oh, that the, the film set there. That uh, you know. The, all I know is that after that one movie that he made out uh, about um, Machu Picchu, whatever, he, he was never quite the same. So, but uh, I want to have him and his his, uh, his wacky sidekick Vince Vaughn, right, going around yes. kicking ass in, in Honduras. <laughs> That's what I want. <laughs> okay, well, it, listen up, Christian filmmakers. We want more violence from your films. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know. If, like, I don't know anything about Alejandro Monteverde. Was it was he a Christian filmmaker? I, I think that again, it was supposed to go to 20th Century Fox. It's yeah. just they made a smart move to to realize that it's a subject that of of great interest right now yeah. to uh, Christian groups. Well, I mean, look, the the mama bear is not the only one who shows up at these meetings and rants and raves about uh, the children and protecting the children. Like, there, this is part of the zeitgeist right now, and the film tapped into it. I want to protect the children from this mama bear. <laughs> Whatever she seems a little bit uh, kooky. I've lost you, or you're muted. 
well, people, sometimes these things happen. We get uh, technical failures. Um, we've lost Teal, but that's okay. I think we've we, we, we got enough of the episode in for you, right? Um, oh, wait, Teal could be connecting it. I was just wrapping up because you disappeared, but you're back. Yeah, you you disappeared too. I had to re-sign in. Yeah, we lost you. Okay. You know what it was? Okay. The mama what? bear cut the cord. <laughs> it was she the was mama like, bear. The mama She's bear like, is trying to talking, shut us down. They're making fun of Sound of Freedom, and I don't <laughs> like it. Schnip. <laughs> That'll teach you. She's everywhere. Because <laughs> she, she knows that we have a huge following of youngsters. She does. And, and she. this is very controversial. I've, I've given out her personal information on the show. Uh, I, oh. <laughs> yes, Mama Bear actually. Uh, see, I, I didn't even. Uh, I, I, I intentionally held back identifying information because I don't want her to get trafficked. No, and we don't want to give her any traffic. We don't give her social plugs. It's just a person, Mama Bear. <laughs> Could be starring in the next uh, sequel to Sound of Freedom. We don't know. Um, Sound of Freedom, they take to the libraries of America to stop kids from reading material or you know, people reading material that gives them ideas. So here's the thing. If Tim Boward hadn't gone through what he's gone through in the last few months with all these allegations and firings and whatnot... Uh, they probably would make a sequel based on how much this made. But I don't know that they can make a sequel now because of the true story. They weren't thinking big picture because the, because of the fact that he didn't go blowing away all these people and stuff. There's no real purpose. Like, what could they possibly do in a sequel? Because they already kind of gave us two missions in one in this movie. Yeah, that's true. I just don't see where else they could go. <laughs> I just don't. I, I'm just saying, when a movie makes this kind of money on that kind of budget, you know, there's a reason why we keep having my big fat Greek wedding movies. Oh, I don't think that did. That certainly didn't do any Sound of Freedom money, uh, and a lot of films don't. But that that kind of brings us into as we're going to close. Uh, that, that's like a bigger discussion happening in, in in films today. Most regular films. Nobody is showing up for them. It has to have something unique. So, like, there was the Barbenheimer, the, yep. an event where people felt like they had to see those in the theater. You got this uh, Taylor Swift, yeah. which it's something, it's not really a movie, but it's something that is attracting people. They want to see it, and they can only see it in a theater, so they're going. And this film was an important film yes. that you must see for the sake of God's children. So they went to see, but I don't know what else is, can get people into the theater. Well, I don't know. Asteroid City got some people into the theater. Well, it didn't make uh, Sound of Freedom money. No, <laughs> about, no, you know. no but for a, for an indie art film, which is basically what it is, it did respectably. Sure. And I mean, Hollywood will have to sort of temporary. I mean, I would say that the ripple effects, whenever all the strikes are over, yeah. like the acting strike, um, they're going to have to really look at like spending three hundred million on an Indiana Jones movie that nobody wanted. Oh, the whole the whole business model is changing right now there it's 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 going to be very different on the other side of these strikes than it was before and it's not just because of the strikes it's because of covid and streaming and all these changes that have gone on the industry is going to tighten their belts going forward for a while now they're not going to be just buying shows the way they were yeah I mean, and look at the, the real thing the real story behind the mission impossible is it did not have the buzz. I saw it. I thought it was okay, 
But that's, I wasn't going to go tell people you got to rush out and see it. And if the movie yep. was great, people would be saying, oh, you got to see this thing. And then it would have done well. Well, and that's the thing, you know, Sound of Freedom had word of mouth, Barbenheimer. It, it, pe people want to be part of the big conversation that's going on at the water cooler, right? And, or on social media, whatever your, your hangout place is, you want to be part of the Barbenheimer. You want to be part of the Sound of Freedom, if that's what all your friends are doing. And so it has to be some sort of, there has to be some social capital behind the movie. And there's none on Mission Impossible. There was an awful lot on Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. And I think that the studios were thinking, well, Tom Cruise is like back in a major way. Everyone's going to come out and support this because they love Top Gun. That wasn't the reason. Yeah. A, it was that movie was made extremely well. Yes. There was a, a visceral experience to seeing it in the theater that you probably can't get at home. And, you know, look, a large part of this country does love military stuff. And yeah. at a time when we had the start of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, people were looking for an experience that made you feel like you were winning something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so Mission Impossible just didn't have all that. And it just, like I said, it, it, it unfortunately, maybe part two will be better. But then I think part two is going to have problems because not enough people saw part one, so they won't want to go to two. And I, I think it's complicated. I And, I, you know, I thought the movie was just pretty good, too. I didn't fall in love with it. I didn't. I definitely didn't tell anyone they needed to run out and see it. Well, all right. Look, we're keeping it short today for us. Um, and, uh, you know, so there we are. Look, we, we gave our assessment of Sound of Freedom. And uh, my recommendation is check out Man on Fire. Yeah, check out Man <laughs> on Fire, which might be one of the better revenge movies. Oh, yeah. It, was, it takes a long time to set up, but I think that's why the second half of that movie is so great because it did take all that time. Absolutely. Yeah. If it didn't take, like I said, it's it's about the relationship between Creasy and the girl and how that grows and evolves until he really, you know, he quits drinking. All right. We're, we're, I'm getting us out of here. <laughs> Get right? us out of here. I don't know what we're going to do next. We're going to do something. You know, yeah, maybe we'll, it'll be anniversary special. We're getting uh, very close to oh, five years. Oh, five excellent. Years okay. Yeah. Uh, anniversary themed movies. Yeah. Special, special guests. <laughs> special guests. <laughs> I don't know. All right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>